With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pampers Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. And I had always been this good kid and I always did what my mom told me, but I knew that I wasn't going to stay. So the final moment when she realized that I was gonna leave, she gets down on her knees. She begs me not to go. She's crying, don't go, don't go, like you're breaking my heart. I remember telling her, I'm like, this thing is bigger than me. It's bigger than all of this. It's like, it's just bigger. Her Netflix comedy special, Lower Classy, made us laugh, mostly at ourselves. And now, Cristela Alonso is giving us an intimate look into her life with her memoir, Music to My Ears. We talked about so much, the conversation takes up two episodes. In this first part, Cristela tells me about the loneliness of her childhood and the heartbreak of caring for her mother. In next week's episode, we'll talk about the come up and finding herself through comedy. I will admit, even though we are friends, there was still so much to learn about this funny woman I know and love. Cristela, congratulations on becoming the first Latina to Latina guest to earn a second episode. (laughs) Oh, is that right? Man, yes. add it to your list of accolades. You know what? <laughs> I I am tired of cleaning up the shards of glass from all the ceilings I keep breaking. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, okay. hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> okay, but seriously, I loved the book. I loved it. I loved it. Lo- you know how much I loved it because I was annoyingly texting you throughout my, my first reading of it. And I love the way you structure it. Each chapter is about a song that captures a time in your life. Not to pigeonhole you, but I imagined we'd open like with Selena. And instead, you give us Boston's More Than a Feeling as your opening chapter. What does that song mean to you? Boston's More Than a Feeling was really the first song in my life that I made a conscious effort to remember the moment I heard it because it was so overwhelming Mm -hmm. to me. I'm sitting in the car, windows rolled down, 
I look up at the sky and I used to do that twinkle, twinkle little star every night. The moment the sun would set, I would run outside, pick a star and just make a wish. And the wish was usually leaving my hometown to see what was out there. Because it just seemed so, my town seemed big. And I thought, what about the world? How big is the world if my little hometown seems humongous? I could never explain to my family, especially my mother, what I wanted to do. I just used to tell her all the time, hey, trust me, if this pays off, it's going to be great for everybody. And she never got it. It was so foreign to her. But to me, that moment when I heard that song, looking up at the stars, everything was aligned perfectly. And I used that moment as kind of the event that pushed me forward in a lot of things because it was so unknown to me as well that I just decided, you know what, this feeling, I'm going to try the rest of my life to try to get this feeling in my life whenever I can. You've spoken a lot about how you grew up, one of four kids, squatting in a diner, sharing a twin bed with your mom. And, and you talk about it so freely, so generously, with little shame, both in the context of us being friends, but also like I've heard you in interviews talk about this, but you never really talk about it the way that you write about it in the book. So 1980s, San Juan, Texas, what was just like your average day like? My average day, we were allowed to sleep until nine in the morning. If we woke up after nine, my mom was livid because she thought that we were wasting time in our day. We had to be productive. I had to clean the house. Every morning at nine in the morning, first of all, we wouldn't eat breakfast because we didn't have enough food. So breakfast was this thing that, this concept that I grew up thinking, oh, school has breakfast, but you know, mm. at home we don't eat breakfast. So I would wake up at nine, I would have coffee as a kid, like, it's just like I'm going into the the office job like, yo, Natalia, pour me some, you know, cup of joe. <laughs> Got to clock in, clean this house. You know, it's funny because even when we were squatting in the diner, we cleaned that diner every day, every day. And uh, after that, we would usually just sit, my mom and I, we would sit or lie down in our little twin bed and we would talk for a couple hours before she had to go into work. My mom would come home at 8.30. So I really spent most of the day by myself. And honestly, being by myself was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because in a weird way, I had no restrictions. Nobody was telling me that what I was getting into in regards to like theater and, you know, the creative arts and everything. I nobody Nobody was there to make fun of me. Nobody was there to question it. Nobody was there to judge mm. it. And it was just this moment in my life where I allowed it. It was just such a pure love and appreciation for it that I I think that's why I like spending my adult life so so lonely in a way, you know, so by myself. I mean, I'm like a, a hermit. I'm a homebody because I grew up that way. And I like I like solitude. It makes me think. But you did have friends on television. <laughs> you write, picture it, San Juan, Texas, 1987. An eight-year-old girl lives with her family in a border town when suddenly, out of nowhere, she meets four older women. They live in Miami, yet somehow the five of them become best friends. 
What was it about the Golden Girls that you loved? So it was one of my favorite shows. Our mutual friend Jose Antonio Vargas talks about the fact that it's part of how he learned English. I mean, there's something for our generation about that show. It's so rare to have a show about friendship that really mm-hmm. shows yes. friendship. Usually, you know, during the 80s, a lot of the shows I watched were always family sitcoms. They were stories about a family. And, you know, I, I talk about it in the book. It's it's these situations that were so unfamiliar to me. You know, it's like, oh, my God, we have two birthday cakes. What are we going to do? And it's like, you know, I'm like, what's a birthday cake? <laughs> like, what is a birthday cake? I don't even understand this. But also, it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized that that connection between Dorothy Spornak and Sophia Petrillo really reminded me of my mom and I. It's an interesting connection because we do not address the fact that Sophia Petrillo is an immigrant in the show. She talks about it constantly, Mm -hmm. but because she's Italian, we just consider her an immigrant in the United States, but we really think of her as American. And I always found that interesting because my mom was from Mexico. And for me, I never looked at her and thought, wow, look at this Mexican woman from Mexico that I have as a mother. We're so good as a culture, as a society, to make immigrants feel like they're not part of us. That show shows you that an immigrant was just like a regular person. Because they didn't think about it. They didn't Mm -hmm. think, you know, they didn't think about having an episode where Sophia might get deported. You know, it's just Sophia. They did an episode where Sophia bought a peach. Like that was the episode, you know, but like (laughs) we were just allowed to see a mother and daughter exist. And with me, I saw that relationship with my mom and it just seemed so familiar. And it seemed so comforting because it made me feel like, like I belonged here. And even though I was born in Texas, my entire life has been made to make me feel like I don't belong here. And that is something that I've always sought. This idea, this comfort, that this validation that it's okay for me to exist here. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blow-up barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blow-ups. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th. 
at 6.30 p.m., we're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. In writing music to my years, did you realize how quintessentially 80s and middle class and white your musical and TV tastes were? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But think about it. That's all we had available. That's why for me, the black culture, I embraced with all my heart when I discovered it. Because I grew up in an area where we didn't have a lot of diversity. We were predominantly Latino, everybody. We didn't have... A lot of you know, I didn't grow up with a lot of white people or black people. Like we were all Latino, you know, with no like Asian, like you know. So when I was growing up, I always did see the quintessential middle class family, and I was taught that that's what you were supposed to reach for, strive for, because it was the only depiction I had. I thought that 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 family being at that level was when you re- realize that you belonged. But let me tell you, when I started discovering like, like black culture, whatever was available to me in my neighborhood, man, I fell in mm-hmm. love with it because it, that was the first time, especially with rap music, which I talk about in the book. It's like with rap music, they were talking about like where they came from, their neighborhoods. And it was different. My experience was different from them. But you know what I loved is that they actually talked about having difficulties and like how they struggled. And for me, I was like, man, like that's the closest thing that I can associate with. We were force fed this idea that people like me were also told at the same same time we could never have. Now, my whole childhood, my upbringing was about seeing these movies and seeing these TV shows where, where people got to live a life that to me was like science fiction. Yet we were told, I was told, through these stories, that, that that's what the American dream was. So if we didn't attain that American dream, were we a failure as Americans? Was I a failure as a person? I realized, man, I felt growing up that I was less than a person because I didn't live in a two-story house. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the, the two-parent household where for some reason, everybody wears cardigans inside the house. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, they would eat dinner. My family ate dinner around the table at the same time. We ate as a family. But, like, they, like, dressed up. They would eat dinner in outfits that we would go to church in, you know? And it was just this thing where it's like, well, we're just home being regular people. And I'm like, my God, like, do you understand how fancy you are? Like, I'm watching these TV shows. (laughs) And my mom's like, man, we got to make these $100 in food stamps last a whole month, you know? And it's like, oh, yeah, I'm just like them. I want to fast forward to college. Um, yes. you, you spend a year 
at college and then I think it's after the summer of your the summer after your freshman year yes your mom tells you you have to drop out of school because your sister needed help with her kids I have to ask was there any part of you any part that entertained the possibility of just saying no uh, no, absolutely not. You know, I uh, I mentioned in the book, when I decided to go to college for theater, my mom uh, forbid me to go. She wanted me near her. So there was a moment when she didn't think I was going to leave her to go to college. My mom couldn't understand. Like, she didn't want... It is a brutal section of the book, Chrisella. It is. It, it is, is so painful. It's this thing where my mom... And I'm sure it was more painful to live and to write, but oof. Uh, yeah, you know, it's this thing where she left her abusive husband. She was the first woman in her family to leave a bad marriage. And she was super Catholic, but she wanted to protect her kids. And she left without anywhere to go, which is why we ended up squatting in this diner, because that was the only place she could find. Mm -hmm. So for her, I imagine that having done so much for her kids, she always wanted them close to her. My sister at the time lived in Dallas, so did my brother, but they were still in Texas. The fact that I wanted to go outside of Texas meant that she was going to lose me forever. And she kept telling me I wasn't going, mm. I wasn't going. And I had always been this good kid, and I always did what my mom told me. But I knew that I wasn't going to stay. So the final moment when she decided, when she realized that I was going to leave, she gets down on her knees, and she begs me not to go. She's crying and she's just begging me, like, don't go, don't go. Like, you're breaking my heart. And uh, it was like Boston's more than a feeling. I remember telling her, I'm like, this thing is bigger than me. It's bigger than all of this. It's like, it's just bigger. And I left and she stopped talking to me for a while. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, I felt like I was disowned. And uh, when she asked me to drop out of college... I had a fear that I, if I said no, I would lose my family because I had already somewhat lost my mother for a bit because of my choice to go get a higher education. There's just no way I could say no. Uh, and I don't understand how people, you know, like in TV shows and movies, they actually do say no. And they're like, I'm going to go live my own life. I'm my own person, blah, 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 blah. But for me, I I couldn't do it. I mean, I have been conditioned since I was a child to make sure that my family was always taken care of. That's kind of like the old-fashioned matriarch mm. position where, you know, my mom grew up in an old world. Yes, old it's the old-fashioned matriarch position, but put on the baby of the family, which is what makes it so interesting, right? Like, right. it was put on you even though you were the youngest. Absolutely. And that, you know, and that's a thing that I never understood. I always thought that it was the oldest that could do it. But also, I was the one that didn't really have direction in their life, even though I did. I was the mm. one that knew what mm -hmm. they wanted to do her like their entire life. I knew what I wanted to do since I could remember, since I was, you know, six, seven, something. You know, I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew I wanted to do, do that. But because it was so foreign, my mom was a, like a cook at a Mexican restaurant, you know, like my brother Aloy worked in construction. My brother Ruben worked at this gas station, late night shifts where they had like a drive through. You know what I mean? It's like w my family comes from a, a blue collar world where, where all of the all of the jobs have to hurt. 
there is, you know, for me, my job was so ridiculous because I was thinking. Part of the job is to think, you know, part of my dream was to perform. And it just seems so luxurious and excessive and just indulgent that my mom always thought that I was the one that could stop their life because I really had no life, no direction. I didn't strive for anything. I was really, I was the black sheep of my family. It's not the last time that you're asked to put your dreams on hold to be a caretaker. I mean, you're living in LA, things are not going well for you. Um, there's like car tickets that basically put you over the edge. It seems like things can't get worse than they do. Your mom's sick. You fly home. She has this miraculous recovery, which is, spoiler alert, just a real <laughs> surprise in the book. And then she basically says, I survived because you were here with me, so now you have to stay. And so, again, ever the dutiful daughter, you stay. And I can't tell you how beautifully you write about your mom being sick, about you know moving into your sister's, sleeping next to her, and just the sound she'd make at night, how the two of you would go to Walmart so that you could distract her in the middle of the night. And during that period, though, the song you listened to really caught me by surprise. It's Backstreet Boys' Shape of My Heart, <laughs> which doesn't feel like the soundtrack for what I just articulated. So what did that song then represent to you? That was one of the songs where I'm like, ah, people are going to have to trust me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. I actually think it is one of the best examples in there. <laughs> well, see, and here's the thing is that when my mom recovered, she was on her deathbed. If people have never seen anybody that they love in, on their deathbed, devastating doesn't say enough, especially if it's a parent, because they've always been the, the strong ones, and now you see them at their weakest, and it's kind of like you find out that the superhero has lost all their powers. Um, <clears throat> I found myself living with my mom, in the little house that we moved in after we squatted at this diner. I was in my 20s. And I had nothing except the little bag that I had brought with me. And it just had a couple outfits. I had no job. I had no money. I had nothing. And I felt like I was back at square one as a little kid in poverty and for a second I thought that was my lot in life and ah, mm. uh, my mom had really bad anxiety she would get panic attacks because of what she had and um, she had a lot of things but at this point we had figured out that uh, the doctors told us that she had suffered numerous strokes throughout her life that left her heart weaker every time we didn't know she had strokes because we couldn't afford to go to the doctor so her heart was really weak and uh she would have these panic attacks and because I was her caretaker I was right next to her and I would hear her have these panic attacks at night and it was just painful to hear because you knew you couldn't do anything and uh she was just sitting up she was awake she would walk around the little house and I had this idea that um, I wanted her to 
get out and I don't know use the energy for something which is why I came up with the uh the Walmart trips I picked Walmart because it was open 24 hours a day and uh on one of those trips the Backstreet Boys CD they were setting it up you know the display and everything because it was on sale I stopped and it reminded me of my life in Los Angeles that CD, the Backstreet Boys CD, actually reminded me of the life that I wish I could have had at that moment, which is what a lot of women my age at that point were living. They were dating Mm -hmm. and they were out, you know, like socializing with friends and everything. And they had this freedom, you know, and and I remember and I didn't write this in the book, but I wanted that CD so bad because I wanted that connection to my life. But I had no money. So here I am in my 20s, and I have to ask my mom to buy me that CD. I felt so ashamed, like so embarrassed, that my mom was fighting for her life, and here I am asking her for $9 or so so that I can buy the CD. But uh, she bought it for me, and I listened to it, And every time I would listen to it, I would just hear that song, Shape of My Heart. And I don't know why, I just loved the song. And uh, I would hear it and just imagine the life that I could have if I was uh, a quote-unquote normal girl my age. I would listen to it and I would hear my mom wailing in pain in the background. It also showed how I tried to survive for myself and how I tried to have anything, any connection to the outside world. You can buy Christella's new memoir, Music to My Years, anywhere you buy books. Next week in part two, Christella talks about falling in love with comedy, finding success, and of course, her Selena moment. Thanks, as always, for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lentiqua Williams and me. Maria Muriel is our producer. Carolina Rodriguez is our sound engineer. Emma Forbes is our assistant producer. We love hearing from you, so email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And please leave a review. It's one of the quickest ways to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.